Here's what I want you to think about. Let's say that on a uh, Mother's Day Sunday, like this Mother's Day Sunday, you show up at church, maybe you don't know exactly what to expect. You find your seat, and as soon as you find your seat, I stand up here and I say, hey, we've got charter buses out in the parking lot. In just a moment, you're gonna be dismissed. We'll march out of here, load up on the buses, and go someplace else to worship. And you're cool with that. So when we give the announcement, you get up, you go out, we load up on the buses, the buses fire up, they pull out of the parking lot, they cruise down the road, and you're kind of wondering, I wonder where the pastor's taking us. And then we come to the closest strip club in the area. And you're like, our pastor has lost his mind. The buses pull into the parking lot for the strip club, Doors of the bus is open. I jump out of my bus. I run up to the door of the strip joint. I open the door and shout out to everyone, come on, let's go in and do worship. I don't know how creepy you found that. How awkward to hear it described at church. Maybe it even freaked you out. But if it did... You understand how the disciples of Jesus felt, how creeped out they were, how freaked out, I mean, totally out of their minds, freaked out. It was worse than awkward when Jesus led them into Caesarea Philippi. Never, never in their worst nightmares did they ever think they would ever come to a vile. I mean, can I, I could almost hear them whispering to each other, Jesus has lost his mind. This place is gross. This place is disgusting. This place is evil. I can't believe we're here. Here's how the Bible takes up the story described by Mark, Jesus and his disciples. They're young men, late teens, 18, 19, Maybe the oldest is 20 years old. There's 12 of them. Jesus and his 12 followers left Galilee. Now Galilee, that's the Holy Land. All the times I've been to Israel with people from our church, everyone says Galilee's their favorite spot. It's almost like you can feel and sense the very presence of God. Galilee, that's where people believed in the one true and living God. That's where they love God. That's where they serve God. That's where they pray to God. And Jesus has taken his guys away from there and into dark, vile enemy territory to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. And as they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Now, the Caesarea Philippi, it's like the hotbed of pagan worship. People there worshiped the God of the underworld, the God of hell. They worshiped Pan. They depicted him as half goat, half man, all naked. God of fertility. And so they would dance and sing and worship and shout and get drunk and do worse stuff than that in front of the gates of hell. Here's a picture. I've been there about a half a dozen times with people from our church. Maybe you can see the little specks in front of the dark cave-like opening. The dark cave-like opening is what's called the gates of hell. 
And they believed that if they were passionate enough, if they were sincere enough, if they cried loud enough, if they shouted, if they screamed, if they sang, if they worshiped, if they got drunk in front of the gates of hell, that Pan would come up from hell and bless their flocks, bless their herds, bless their crops, bless their families. And so when Jesus leads his closest followers there, he turns and says to them, Who do people say that I am? And they just look past his shoulder to that scene you just saw. They look past his shoulder, not just to the gates of hell. If you would go there with me me today, you would see the ruins of the temple of Pan worship. You would see the ruins of statues to Pan. They see all the frenzy. They see all the frantic activity. They hear the shouting, the screaming, and they know where they've been with Jesus for the last two years. And they've heard word on the street. Jesus is like, what is the rumor mill churning out about me? Now, Jesus, he's not asking them to stroke his ego. There's a purpose. He, this is a long way. The times we've been to Israel, from Jerusalem in the south to this place, the gates of hell in the north, it takes us a half a day to get there. Jesus is on foot with his disciples. This is a long, hard hike. Why? It's not just why would he take them there? Why would he take them at such a distance? Because he wants to ask them this question and another question, and then he's gonna make a declaration. First question, who do people say that I am? And they almost laugh with relief. Well, you know, it's crazy, but some people, really, it's crazy. Some people think you're John the Baptist. Come back from the dead. We know he's still dead, but that's what people are saying about you. Some people say you're like the goat. Greatest of all time, like Elijah, like he was the greatest of all time, like Jeremiah, like he was the greatest of all time, like other great men of God, greatest of all time. That's what people are saying about you. Now, all those people, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, the prophets of God, they were great, maybe the greatest in their time, but they were just human beings. This is a mistake that most people make today when they give some thought to Jesus. Sure, he's a real historical figure. I mean, great philosopher, great teacher, maybe even a great healer, but just a great man. See, Jesus never, never, not once did Jesus claim to be a great person, not a great teacher, not a great healer, not a great wonder worker, not a great philosopher, not a great uh, leader, not a great anything. Jesus claimed every claim, every time he claimed, Jesus claimed to be God. He would back it up with the word of God to give irrefutable evidence that he was God in the flesh. He would work miracles as proof. Only God could do that. He would forgive sins. Only God forgives sins. But again and again, over and over. And every time Jesus claimed to be God, it was unmistakable. It was plain, simple, and understandable. People got it. In fact, the religious politicians of the day got it, and they hated it, and they hated Jesus because of it. In fact, one time too many, Jesus claimed to be God, and they executed him on a bloodstained cross. They killed Jesus for claiming to be God. But then, on the first Easter, Jesus is risen from the dead, and he's going around everywhere talking to all kinds of people. It's undeniable. 
It's beyond debate. This risen, resurrected Jesus is all the proof we need. Jesus is God. But then, maybe you want to say to me, um, well, David, I don't really believe the Bible. I don't really have faith in what the Bible says about Jesus. That's okay. I would assert that you can believe the, the facts of history about Jesus. Read the history. Josephus wrote in the first century, everything I've said to you about Jesus, Josephus wrote it. The historian, he wasn't a Christ follower. He was a historian. If you just accept the facts of history, you will see that Jesus claimed to be God. Now, C.S. Lewis said, hey, if Jesus claimed to be God, and he did again and again and again, if he claimed to be God, but he wasn't God, then he was a liar. So maybe that's your choice, that Jesus was a liar. Or, serious, maybe you're saying, maybe you're thinking, hey, if Jesus said he was God and he really believed that he was God, then he was mentally deranged. So where does that leave us? Jesus says, liar, lunatic, I believe Jesus is not a liar. I believe Jesus is the truth. The truth is not a set of facts. It's not a bunch of principles. The truth is a person. The truth is Jesus Christ. That's what I believe. I believe that Jesus was the embodiment of sanity. I believe that Jesus was the personification of wisdom. That Jesus was in the mind of God, the right mind, when he claimed to be God. I believe that Jesus was, is, and shall ever, for, forevermore be God. God of heaven, God of earth, God of life, God of death, Lord of lords, and King of kings. That's what I believe about Jesus. Now, yeah, that's my... My choice, you guys that are watching online at home, you have to choose for you. You guys in the room, you have to choose. What you believe about Jesus, you have to choose for you. And our choices have consequences. Uh, in fact, moms, every mom in the room, I would encourage you that you assert that your mantra, your motto is this. Choose today whom you will serve. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. You know what? Research that came out just this year, I just saw it. I just saw it this week, but it has come out this year. 63% of American adults say that their faith in Jesus right now is the same as their mother's faith when they were 10 years old. That's huge. Moms, your children are carrying your faith into their future. And here's the deal. Life hurts. Your children will be wounded. Your children will face daunting difficulties. Your, your children may find themselves in painful impossibilities. And it's your faith right now that will sustain them through all of that. It's your faith right now enables them to have the strength of Jesus, the witness of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the joy of Jesus, the peace of Jesus. Your faith right now, given to your children, carries them into whatever future is before them. 
And here's the downside. A limited response to Jesus gets only limited results. If we simply believe that Jesus was a great figure in history, it will, we will stay paralyzed in our painful impossibilities. We will stay stuck in our difficulties. We will continue to be overwhelmed by the challenges of life. Our marriages will fail. Our finances will go down the tube. You see, I believe that Abraham Lincoln was a great leader, but my, all the books I've read about him have no effect on my life. But if you believe Jesus is God, it changes everything. It is the make or break belief of your life. In fact, Jesus said this over and over again, person to person, in situation after situation. Jesus would say, according to your faith, be it done unto you. You get what your faith is. And so my life and your life, our lives are right now what our faith has formed my Debbie and I have been married for over 47 years. All of our flaws, all of our weaknesses, everything we've done wrong, however often we've hurt each other, however well we've loved each other, it's our faith that has formed and forged our marriage. It's your faith that forms and forges your finances. It's your faith that forms and forges your emotional and mental strength. It's your faith. According to your faith, be it done unto you. So question number one, back to the gates of hell. Jesus has his back to the gates of hell, says to the guys, hey, what do people say about me? He, this is not a focus group. He's not asking them to help him with his public image. Because here's question number two. This is why he took them this far. This is why he brought them to this place, to this scene, to this environment. Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? It's the same question he asked for you on this Mother's Day Sunday, 2020. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that I am? Jesus wants to know. It's the whole reason he got you to show up this weekend. Who do you say that I am? Well, Simon, he steps out from the group of disciples, looks Jesus in the eye, and just lays it out straight. He speaks for everybody when he says, you, Jesus, you are the Christ. Now that's not his name. Christ is a title. It makes king, means king, the anointed king, not just any kind of king. This is the king who repairs everything broken in this world. This is the king that gets right, everything wrong with this world. This is the king who heals every hurt in this broken world. You are the Christ. You are God. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed, happy, joyful are you, Simon. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You didn't pick it up on the street. You didn't hear it in the locker room. You didn't read in the book. You got this from my father. But my father in heaven has revealed this to you. And I tell you, Simon, I tell you, you are Peter. Now the Greek word there for Peter is Petros. And it means a small pebble or small piece of rock. You are a small little piece of rock. That's your new name. From now on, I'm calling you Pebble, Peter. And on this rock, oh my gosh, now Jesus changes words. The second word for rock is Petra. And it means a massive, 
huge bedrock of rock, so huge, so massive that you could build an immense edifice on the foundation of this rock. Jesus was talking about what Peter had just said about Peter announcing his belief that Jesus, you are God. I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Upon that belief, upon that confession, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, and I think right here, Jesus turns around and points right to that big hole in the ground. The, 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 those people are worshiping a God who is not even a God, kind of like us. Worship in our jobs or even our marriage. Worship in our bank accounts or our stock portfolio, whatever we think of all the time, like the Packers. I'm not thinking about the Bears ever, so. <clears throat> That's your God. That's your God that you worship that is not a God. She said, and the, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church of Jesus Christ will be the prevailing power and you are a little rock. You, 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 we, I am, we're little rocks in this massive bedrock that is a church. That means I get to have a prevailing marriage. I get to have prevailing emotions. You get to have prevailing thoughts. You get to have prevailing finances. We are little rocks and we are part of the massive bedrock that is the church, the prevailing, not even the gates of hell can defeat us. So how do you answer that question for you? For you personally? Jesus asked you this morning, who do you say that I am? How do you respond? You see, how you answer determines, literally determines your personal experience of God. The Bible says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. If you want to see God, look at Jesus. If you want to know God, know Jesus. If you want to experience God, experience Jesus. If you want to experience God's love, God's strength, God's power, God's hope, God's peace, God's joy, experience Jesus. In fact, I'll go a step further. How you answer the question, who Jesus is to you, it determines your purpose in life. This is where we get our life's directions. This is where our dreams are forged. This is where we understand fulfillment and meaning in life. It's through our relationship with Jesus. Ephesians 2.10 in the word of God says, we are God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus to do good things, great things that God has prepared in advance. God has greatness prepared for you. you. He wants to craft you into a masterpiece of his love. And when you say, Jesus, you are God, then you are ready to go step by step, knowing your future as he reveals step by step his plan for your life. In addition, how you answer determines your personal capacity for spiritual strength. It's not just our kids that are gonna be wounded. You've been wounded. It's not just that our kids are gonna face daunting challenges. We do as well. We got struggles. We got hurts. We get caught in painful impossibilities. 
So where do we get the strength? Not just to live under, hey, how you doing? Okay, under the circumstances. No, that's not how Christians talk. We live outside the circumstances. We live above the circumstances because we live in relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Jesus who is God. We say, I can do everything. I mean, it's hard, it hurts, but I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And Jesus promised not just to dispense strength to your marriage as you need, to your finances as you need it, to your emotions as you need it. Jesus promised to be your strength. Jesus promised personally, I will personally be your emotional strength. I will personally be your financial strength. When you see me as God, I will personally be the strength of your marriage when you see me as God. And to be real, how you respond to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? It determines your eternal destiny. Jesus knew there was a hell. He taught more about hell than he taught about heaven, but he taught about heaven. Hell is real and real people end up there forever. Heaven is real and people, real people like you and me, get to go there and be there forever, doing what we love best with those we love most forever on the presence of Jesus. But it begins with what we believe about Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. He's praying to God as he says it. Jesus prayed, eternal life, life forever. Eternal life is to know you, the only true God, and to know Jesus Christ, the one he sent. We're gonna have some baptisms today after our service. Because this is what happens when you believe Jesus is God. When you believe that Jesus is God who came to earth through human birth, lived a sinless life, battled his way tenaciously through every temptation until he had lived a perfect sinless life and then willingly laid his life down on the cross to pay for your sin. You see, when he died on the cross, he was taking my place. He was your substitute. He was getting the punishment that we all deserve for our sins. And then God raised him from the dead on that first Easter morning. When you believe that, you see, when you believe that Jesus is God, it determines your belief and your baptism because the first thing Jesus says you do, once you come to believe that I'm God, that I died for your sins and I rose from the dead, once you believe that, the first thing you do, the first action you take is that you are buried with me all the way under the water in baptism. Your sins are washed away. You put your past behind you. You bury your baggage. You are cleansed of guilt and shame and you are raised up a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Here's what Jesus said. Um, Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized will be saved. Belief comes first. You believe Jesus, God. Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And when those folks are baptized today, they will make that confession. Been here for over 40 years and every person that I've participated in their baptism, they've made that confession. You are the Christ, Lord Jesus, the son of the living God. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Ah, saved, it's kind of a churchy word. What does that mean, saved? 
Well, Jesus brought them there, Caesarea Philippi, to the gates of hell, not just to ask two questions, but to tell them what they are to believe in order to be saved and live forever. Here's what he told them. Then he began to tell them about the terrible things he would suffer. These men, these young men, teenagers, maybe 20 years old, one of them, they've been with Jesus for two years. This is the end of his second year of ministry. This is the beginning of his third and final year of ministry. From Caesarea Philippi, he's moving toward the cross. It's gonna take him a year to get there, but this is the very first time he prophesies, he predicts, he lets them in on what's coming for him. I'm not a God that you stand in front of a hole in the ground and shout and scream and get drunk. I'm a God who dies for your sins and has risen from the dead. He then began to tell them about the terrible things he would suffer. His face would be beaten beyond recognition. His beard would forcibly be pulled out by the roots. His head would be clubbed again and again and again and again. His back would be laid bare with a uh, cat of nine tails, uh, two whips, nine leather straps to each of them with a piece of glass, sharp metal, stone in the end so it just would rip the back apart. He would carry his own instrument of death through the narrow, twisting streets of Jerusalem. And there, then on Calvary, nails would be driven through his wrist and through his feet, a sword plunged up through his lungs, through his heart to validate his death. He then began to tell them about the terrible things he would suffer and that he would be rejected by the elders, the chief priest, the other Jewish leaders, and be killed. And that he would rise again. The resurrection's coming. And that he would rise again three days afterwards. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired Podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.